The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Trust you've had a great holiday season, and now we uh, turn our attention back to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him when they had come from Jerusalem. And it seemed that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, observing the traditions of the elders. And when they, came, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with unwashed or impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching doctrines as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to traditions of men. Father, it's our desire to know you more deeply through our time here. And after that, Father, we desire to be changed. So we ask you to change us from the inside out. In Christ's name, amen. It's easy to focus on the wrong things sometimes. Would you agree with that statement? Sometimes we get focused or distracted and we focus upon the wrong things. And uh, that's what was happening to the Jews in the first century. We had a great holiday season, you know, when you're not sure you're going to be here for a holiday season. Every day is a celebration and a wonderful time. And our nieces and nephews and all of our grandkids gathered at our home for the holidays, and they were really focused. I mean, they were so focused on this game that nothing was going to break it up. So they're at the dining room table, and there are about a dozen of them there playing this game. And I decided I need to change their focus somehow. I, we got to lighten this up. They, I mean, they were getting serious about this game. And so uh, I have a backup eye. I've got a uh, second eye that was made for me. And so I kind of pulled a table, a chair up to the table. And they're, they're really into this game. And so uh, I, just, I, I just coughed. Or, and when I did that, I had that uh, other eye in my hand. I just dropped it on the table right there in front of all of them. Their focus changed in a heartbeat, I'm going to tell you, man. They scattered to every room in that house. Our granddaughter wouldn't even come see me for about two hours. You know, Papa Doe, no, Papa Doe, no, Papa Doe. You know, sometimes we get focused on the wrong things. Our focus changes and sometimes wrong things. And, and that's what was happening in the first century of Judaism. I mean, they begin to focus on the traditions of men rather than the Word of God. In fact, if you look at this section, if you write in your Bibles, in verse 3, underline the word traditions. Then drop down to verse 5, tradition of the elders. We're talking about not what is true from the Word of God, but what they've added to the Word of God. Then again in verse 8, tradition. Again in verse 9, tradition. Again in verse 13, traditions. Now, Christ and the leaders of the nation of Israel have squabbled about this before. We saw it back in Mark chapter 2. Uh, they came to Christ and said, why do we fast and your disciples don't? And then Christ healed on the Sabbath. And they said, why is it that we observe the Sabbath, the traditions of men, but your disciples don't? And so they had this battle. And they elevated their traditions to be equivalent to the Word of God. 
I mean, they held to their tradition so much so that after Christ had healed on the Sabbath, he had done the right thing but on the wrong day, and after Christ had come along and he and his disciples were not fasting, he said, when the bridegroom is there, you don't fast, you celebrate. When he had announced this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, it says in Mark chapter 3, they took their tradition so seriously that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They had elevated their traditions to be equivalent to the Word of God. They'd done that for two reasons. First of all, they did it for spiritual reasons. They did it for spirit. They thought somehow by keeping the traditions that they honored, they would somehow earn God's favor. We call that legalism. Doing things to earn God's favor. Secondly, they were doing it for nationalism. They were doing it because every good Jew, every good Israelite kept the traditions of the elders, and to be a good Jew or a good Israelite, you did it. So for spiritual reasons and for nationalistic reasons, they observed the traditions of the elders. Now, now I mind you, these are not things from the Word of God. These are things added to the Word of God. They were added to initially for the right reasons. They wanted to be ceremonially clean. They wanted to be able to enter places of worship so that they, were, they were, had cleansed themselves in a right way. But they got carried overboard with it, and I'll show you that in a minute. The accusation against Christ is you don't obey our traditions. If you look at verse 1, this is a a theological group of folks that are coming from Israel on a headhunting trip. I I mean, these are theological headhunters. They came from Jerusalem specifically to listen to Christ and to catch him. And in verse 2, what happens is the disciples were eating without washing their hands. Now, I thought my mom made that verse up, actually. You're not going to eat at this table before you go wash your hands. But, I I mean, the the Jewish washing is an interesting thing to study. In fact, if you look at the insertion of Mark in the next two verses, you see it in parentheses in your Bible. He he said the Pharisees became obsessed about washing and cleanliness. I I mean, the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, observing once again, not the word of God, but the traditions of the elders. And so when they go to the marketplace, they wash. When they receive things, they wash. They have instructions on how to wash their cups, their pitchers, their copper pots, everything. They had this total obsession with washing. I, I mean, some of you are saying, I don't see what's so bad with that. How many of you right now, right now, have some of that antibacterial stuff in your purse right now? Raise your hand. There you go. You're saying, I understand fully why they would be obsessed with this. You understand why I do that. Cleanliness is next to godliness, Gary. That comes out of Hesitations 316. It's in my Bible. (laughs) Here's the problem. They had taken this and elevated it to an equivalency of the Word of God. And and so they did crazy things. I mean, we we would look at it. For for instance, one of the rabbis had been arrested by the Romans. He was placed in a cell, and he would use his daily ration of water not to drink, but he would use it to wash, and he almost died because of not having water to drink. There there was another rabbi who was caught without not washing his hands prior to a meal, and and he went before the Sanhedrin to be excommunicated. I, I mean, that's how crazy it had gotten. I mean, it's absolutely insane. The Mishnah, which would be the Jewish interpretation of the law, which would be finished uh, years later, contained 36 pages on how to wash. 36 pages. There was a group called the Essenes. Some of you have been with Bev and I when we have led tours to Israel. And if you go to the place where the Essenes are, what you'll see there are all these places for them to bathe and all these places for them to, to be cleansed. They've become obsessed with that. I mean, they they were as obsessed with washing as some of you are obsessed with watching the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, you can't do that, can you? It's over. 
What do you call 53 millionaires watching the NFL playoffs? Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) I'll rail on the Texans next week. Following traditions is not a biblical mandate. That's what Jesus is telling them. Following the traditions of the elders is not a biblical mandate. You're concerned about what's on the outside. That's the problem. You know, as I was preparing for this, I thought, what are some of the traditions that churches and individuals in churches elevate to a biblical status in our day and age? I mean, what are some of those? What you think? I went down to David Richardson's office, I a small group pastor, and uh, we begin to talk. And by God's grace, many of the legalistic things that uh, many churches adhere to, we don't adhere at TBC. But, but we all come from different backgrounds, and even TBC has some, I'm sure, and others. I mean, there are traditions that we elevate to the status of biblical truth. For instance, there are some churches you go to, if you don't use the King James Bible, it's not biblical. Let me let you in on a secret. It wasn't written in King James English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. King James is a translation, like there are other translations. There are other churches you go to, appearances matter more than anything else. And let's face it, that's where some of us struggle. How can they really know Jesus if they're tatted up everywhere and look like that? If their hair, you know, is like a porcupine and colored like a peacock, how can they know Jesus? One of the guys that blew you away a number of, a couple of years ago was a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan played electric guitar back here. Remember Jonathan? Jonathan had hair like a porcupine and colored like a peacock. But he threw some of you off. The first thing he did, he wore a tie every Sunday. Some of you are thinking, how can that be? Here's a guy 20 years old, looks like that, and he wears a tie with his blue jeans every Sunday. But the second thing, some of you got to know Jonathan. And when you get to know Jonathan, you get to know Jonathan's heart. And what you realized is your judgment of his external appearance was totally wrong. Because Jonathan was a young man who walked with Jesus. You know what Jonathan does now? He's been the worship pastor at church in College Station the last four years. You see, we're so quick to judge on external appearances. We're so quick to make sure everything looks good on the outside. We're, we're so quick to make sure that our kids look a certain way because really it's a reflection on us. That our teenagers behave in a certain way because it's a reflection on us. That we look a certain way because we don't want to be judged as one of them. And that's what was happening here. Hey, Jesus says, uh, you're doing all this because of traditions of men. You do all this because of traditions of men. Traditions we elevate to the status of biblical truth. You have to have a choir. You have to have a band. You have to sing certain songs. You have to, when I was in high school in the late 60s, early 70s, I mean, hippies were there. The only fight my dad and I ever had was over hair. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Came home, got a haircut, wasn't cut very short, and you go back and get your money's worth. And so. But anyway, we hired a youth intern, our first youth intern at our church. He began to grow a beard in the early 70s. Imagine that. Two of the older deacons in our church came up to him and said, son, you can't work here if you've got a beard. His response was, I think Jesus had a beard. <laughs> Their response was, but you're not Jesus. <laughs> I mean, really? That's what we're going to get in a wad over? I mean, we start to elevate our preferences and our traditions to biblical truth, and that's the problem. They had raised this whole idea. It sounds crazy to us. I mean, you weren't spiritual unless you cleaned in certain ways. And it's exactly what they believe. They're coming to Christ over this. 
And they said, the problem is your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. How can they do that? You talk about inane stuff to be upset over. Here is Jesus performing miracles, healing people, people coming to the kingdom, and their concern is about you're not keeping the ritual of washing your hands. How inane can you possibly be? I'm glad we know those problems in America today or around the world. I received an email this summer. I shared it with you guys because it was anonymous. You sent me an anonymous email. It's fair game. And it was a person who said Temple Bible Church is not a real church. You don't have membership, so you can't join. It's not a real church. You don't have an aisle call, so people can't get saved. And I came on a Sunday. This was in August. It was 110 degrees. I came on a Sunday and saw people dressed in shorts. The next thing you're going to do is bring coolers. (laughs) Help me with that. If you remember, I said it's okay to bring coolers if you have sandwiches and we'll stay for lunch. The point is this, don't get trapped into elevating traditions to an equivalency of biblical truth. Because if you do, you'll become judgmental, self-righteous. Your ways are the right ways, and you'll fall into the trap of legalism. One author says this, the essence of legalism is trusting in religious activity, not trusting in God. You see, you've got to get everything right. You've got to go to the right places, be at the right events, and look the right way. It is putting our confidence in a practice rather than in a person. Without fail, this will lead us to loving the practice more than the person. Thomas Akempis. This was written centuries ago. Centuries ago. Another author says there's something comfortable about reducing Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Whether your list comes from mindless fundamentalism or mindless liberalism, you always know where you stand, and this helps reduce anxiety. With do's and don'ts, you don't need wisdom. You don't need to relate personally to a demanding and loving Lord or rely upon his spirit to lead you. You see, if the spiritual life is a list of do's and don'ts, all you have to do is follow those and you're good. But the living God of the universe desires a relationship with you. Wow. And you want a checklist. Just like that. Now, if I ride with you in your plane, I want you to have a checklist. I mean, I do. You ever ride with somebody that flies, and we've done it a number of times. Uh, several folks have planes here. I-, I want them to have a checklist they go over because I want to make sure everything. I want them to be legalists in that area. But when it comes to the spiritual life, God is not a list keeper. He's one who looks at the interior, not the exterior. He looks at the heart, not what's on the outside. And so the accusation is, you don't follow our traditions. His answer is, you're right, I don't. I'm not concerned about your traditions. I'm concerned about obeying the Word of God. I'm concerned about obeying the Word of God. Obeying the Word trumps your traditions. In verses 6 and 7, he's very clear about it. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Now imagine you're in the audience and you are one of the Pharisees and scribes who come there and he points his finger. Jesus says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. In fact, Isaiah wrote about you. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far away from me. You've got Christ on your lips. You look great on the outside. You're washing your hands when you're supposed to do it. You're taking baths when you're supposed to do it. But the reality of it is, on the inside, you're rotten to the core. You're following external things rather than following the living God. By the way, these folks were dedicated. This is not about dedication. They were dedicated. They followed these legalistic things to to, to the max. In fact, in verse 8, he says, you neglect the commandment of God to hold to the traditions of men. 
Religious people love to hide behind religion. They love the rules of religion more than they love Jesus. We love our rules more than the Savior. Hey, if you do this, show up here, do that, then you're spiritual. God says, no. I want you to walk with me. I want you to honor me. I want you to be a man of the word, a woman of the word. I want you to walk with me every day. Legalism, Max Licato says, doesn't need God, is a search for innocence, not forgiveness, is a systematic process of defending self, explaining self, exalting self, justifying self. Legalists are obsessed with self and not obsessed with God. In fact, Jesus gave an example of that. I mean, he turns to them and says, uh, here's what you do. Look at verse 9. He said to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Now, what's the command? If you look at verse 10, he says, here's the command. Honor your father and mother. That's the commandment. And then the rest of verse 10, he says, uh, some of you are not going to like this second command. It says, he who speaks evil of his father and mother shall be put to death. I'd be doing a lot of funerals if, if we did that. I, I mean, you speak evil of your mom or dad and you die? I didn't make that up. I'm reading it right out of the Word. Might not be a teenager left on the planet if we apply that. <laughs> but you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, anything of mine you might have has been given to Corbin, that is, Corbin means an offering, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother invalidating the Word of God by your tradition. You say, what does that mean? What does Corbin mean? Well, basically it means I dedicate what I have to the temple and to God. And so what was happening, the Word of God says, honor your father and mother. The Word of God says, don't speak evil. And so you know what people did? They would dedicate everything they had to the temple. That's Corbin. So you don't have to take care of your elderly parents because everything you have belongs to God. I remind you, in that day, there were not homes to go to, uh, homes for disabled folks. There were not retirement homes, nursing homes. There was not Social Security. There were not retirement accounts. Basically, families cared for family members. And basically, what they were doing here, they were dedicating everything to God and saying, I can't take care of your mom and dad because it all goes to God. But interestingly enough, they had set up a system. You know what the system was? After mom and dad had died, for 40 shekels, if the mama died, 50 shekels, if the daddy died, you could buy yourself, you could buy your stuff back. So basically, the tradition was, you have to take care of mom and dad because you've dedicated everything to the temple and to God, and therefore you don't have to worry about mom and dad. The traditions of men is to dedicate everything to God. When they die, you buy it back, and you haven't done anything for your mom and dad. That's sick. Sick. That's how they were protecting their stuff. Rather than reaching out to those in need, especially even family members, that's why Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 4, he said, he who does not provide for his own family is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. And so what was happening? Well, they're focused on external things. Look at verse 14. He says, uh, after he, called, after the, he called the multitude to him again, and he said, listen, there's nothing outside a man, verse 15, that going into him defiles him. But the things that proceed out of the man are what defile him. And then he dropped down to 17, he gets the disciples together to explain to them. And he said to them, do you lack understanding also? And they're going, uh-huh, we do. Explain it to us, Jesus. He says, do you not understand whatever goes into a man from the outside doesn't defile him because it does not go into his heart. It's eliminated through his stomach. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now, we could spend a whole sermon talking about that little parenthesis right there. Remember that Peter is behind the writing of Mark. 
Peter's the one who was told to go to Cornelius' house and where everything was declared clean. And so the, the emphasis here would be on all foods being clean, but I, I, I'm going to focus on the other. It says in verse 20, that which proceeds out of man is that which defiles the man. He says, the problem is you're focusing on external things, but it's the inside that's rotten. You need to pay attention to the inside, not the outside. You need to pay attention to what lies beneath. So Gary, what does it have to do with us now? Let me put it this way. If the primary issue for an alcoholic alcohol, I would submit to you it's not. It's a heart. Is the primary issue with a person who walks in unforgiveness Forgiveness? No, I submit to you, it's his heart. The person who's a sex addict, is the primary problem sex? I submit to you, it's not. It's her heart. And the person who is not generous, is the problem money? I submit to you, it's not. It's your heart. You see, if your heart is right, then your behavior will follow. The problem is, in the church, what we want to do is have everybody look right. So most pastors teach five ways to save your marriage, four ways to do this, six ways to do that, and they give you a lot of principles and a lot of moralistic teaching, but the reality of it is God wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants your heart to be changed. And the problem is, we're satisfied looking good on the outside. Let me put it this way. At Christmas time, all our grandkids were there. We had packages for them. You know what happened in our house this Christmas? Uh, they, they were so, and Bev can wrap presents like nobody in the world. I'm going to tell you that. There's a, there's a gene in her that I don't have. It's a gene in most of you women that most of us men don't have. It comes to wrapping stuff. Our grandkids were so enamored with how good those presents looked wrapped, they didn't open them. You believe that? You got any seven-year-old and five-year-olds, three-year-olds? They could care less. With it. I, we should have wrapped them in newspaper and saved all that money. They could care less what the outside looks like. All they wanted to see was on the inside. A few months ago, there was a knock on our door. One of our precious ladies in our body showed up. And she had a bouquet of flowers for Bev and one for my mom. And underneath that was an ice chest. Inside that ice chest were six quart containers of Bluebell ice cream. You know, I looked at that and said, this is amazing. Cookies and cream, homemade vanilla. I just stared at them. Never opened them. Why are we so concerned with the package that we don't look what's inside? Why are we so concerned about the way that we look? If nobody catches us, nobody sees it. So we sneak a peek on the computer at night when nobody will know. So we buy a certain house so people will be impressed. We go to the gym and get all buffed up so that somebody will pay attention. We look great on the outside, especially on Sunday mornings. I mean, take a look around. Take, go ahead. You can, it's church, I know. It's, it's hard to do that. Go ahead. Look around. Everybody, quit looking at me. Look at somebody else. <laughs> look around. Go ahead and look around. I, I mean, how many of you ladies have said, I'm not putting makeup on today because I'm going to church. I'm going to show them. <laughs> how many of you guys said, uh, I'm not going to. I mean, it's, that was the problem. They look great on the outside. They wash their hands all the time. But Jesus said the problem is 
You talk about me with your lips, but your heart is unchanged. They were focused on the wrong things. What about you? What about you? What lies beneath? When you're lying in bed at night, why do you do what you do? What motivates you in what's happening? It's better to have a clean heart and dirty hands than dirty heart and clean hands. What do we mean by that? It's better to be transformed and pure on the inside than to have everything look good on the outside. You see, they fasted. They didn't do anything on the Sabbath they weren't supposed to do. And here we find that they were obsessed with washing. They did all the right stuff on the outside. But on the inside, Jesus said, your heart is far from me. Today, what that means, a lot of people go to church. They think because they go to church, they're okay. They show up at Bible studies, I'm okay. The question is, has your heart been transformed by Jesus? Have you been internally changed? And if you have, do you live your life not seeking to keep a bunch of rules and regulations, but seeking to walk by the grace that God has given us? Traditions do not trump the word of God. Following rules does not earn the favor of God. Keeping rules does not make you a member of the covenant family. It's only a heart that's been transformed from the inside out. One author says, several years ago I underwent a heart procedure. My heartbeat had the regularity of a telegraph operator sending Morse code. It would go fast, 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 then it would go slow. After several failed attempts to restore my healthy rhythm with medication, my cardiologist decided I needed a catheter ablation. Some of you have had that, and you know what that's like. He said, uh, he put it this way, he said uh, he would insert two cables in my heart via blood vessel, one a camera, the other an ablation tool, to ablate means to burn, so he was going to burn, cauterize, singe, a part of my heart that uh, was misbehaving, he said. As I was being wheeled into surgery, he asked me if I had any final questions. Not a good choice of words if you're a physician, by the way. Do you have any final questions before I cut on you? I tried to be witty when he said that. I said, you're burning the interior of my heart, right? Correct, he said. You intend to uh, kill the misbehaving cells, right? He said, that's my plan. As long as you're there, could you take your little blowtorch to some of my greed, selfishness, superiority, and guilt? He smiled at me and said, sorry, that's out of my pay grade. (laughs) Indeed it was. You see, it's only God who can change your heart from the inside out. Has that happened to you? You're trying to live the spiritual life. They're keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. And so you're drowning in religious activity, but your heart is far from God. Father, today it's our desire to be changed from the inside out. It's our desire, Father, to be different. Not because we're keeping rules, not because we desire to impress folks or look good in a certain way, Not because we desire to look spiritual, but our desire is to be spiritual because of our love for you, because of the work you've done on the cross for us, because of the grace we've received. If you're here today and you're not sure if Jesus Christ is your Savior, I invite you right now to make sure of that. Why don't you just pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I want to be transformed from the inside out. I desire to know with certainty that you're my Savior. 
So this morning, I ask you for the forgiveness of sin, my sin, which has corrupted me on the inside. And some of you here, and quite frankly, you are judgmental. You look at other people with suspicious eyes. And your confession needs to be your self-righteousness. Others of you, you seek to earn God's favor. You know him as Savior, but now you're seeking to earn his favor. When he loves you so much that he desires to walk with you every day instead of having you keep rules. The song that we sing is called Everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame. The cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out. Lord, my soul cries out from the inside out. Would you change me?